Hello everyone, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to this new chapter of Trailblazers. I have a very distinguished guest today, Alice Rubinston, the CEO of New York Academy of Sciences. Uh, thank you, Alice, for joining us. This is uh, one, of, uh, one of my first chapters in uh, 2020. And um, uh, I'm so excited about uh, your background, um, starting on science journalism, uh, running a few um, very important uh, journals, then 17 years at the New York Academy of Sciences. What transformational work you've done, um, you. and bringing young people and STEM, uh, you know, evangelizing STEM as I call it, bringing them together. My first question to you, teeing up, is um, you know, it's New York Academy of Sciences is a 200-year institution, so you get this impression when you say 200 years of institution. Academy of Sciences, you think it's a very traditional uh, organization, but uh, uh, contrary to that, it's a very contemporary organization, um, changing with times and um, transforming itself with times. Tell us a little bit about the culture and the history of uh, the New York Academy of Sciences. Be delighted to, but let me just say that uh, it's been wonderful uh, partnering with Emphasis for young people, for girls and uh, and and uh, gifted kids in STEM, so it's uh, delightful to be with you. Sure. Um, what makes the Academy unusual really is it's uh, the founders. Um, actually, 203 years ago, uh, just to my right, uh, maybe your viewers could almost imagine it, uh, four blocks away uh, in City Hall Park where Mike Bloomberg used to be, and yep. now we have de Blasio. Uh, there was the first medical school of New York. And about five or six doctors there um, wanted to create a kind of a club mm -hmm. for people that believed in the future of science and engineering. Mm -hmm. And what they didn't like, which was what made it unusual, was they thought that Philadelphia and Boston that had some organizations a bit like that were too stuffy and too elitist. They wanted it to be open to anybody, including business people, including young people. And so right from the beginning, the academy was, became the only non-honorary academy in the world. Most of them, are, you have to be famous and old and you get elected. And as a result, too many academies are like old men's clubs. But we, from the beginning, had Europeans, we had business people, Presidents Jefferson, Monroe. And so the odd thing about our academy is both it's tremendously diverse because of this. So we have 20,000 members in 100 countries. And we're the only academy that has thousands of young members. We have almost 10,000 uh, graduate students, postdocs, and gifted high school student members. Yep. But we also have industry members, which is not typical of academy. We have businessmen that are interested in the future of science. And you might say, well, you're not elitist. But then we're very proud of the fact that we have 36 Nobel Prize winners on our President's Council, and one out of every six Nobelists ever was a member of the Academy, and we have Darwin, Pasteur, and Lord Kelvin, and James Jewell, and uh, Bell and Edison, all imaginable great people have been members. So that's sort of what makes us, a, what we like to think of as the world's smartest network. Fantastic. You know, um, <clears throat> what's fascinating you just said is creating an inclusive um, and a very diverse pool of uh, talent for STEM and uh, reaching out and extending that reach to the underprivileged. Was that the 
mission in which you've built this for the last 200 years? Well, I wish that I could say it was for 200 years. You know, for many years, like so many organizations, there weren't women in the organization. And it wasn't until the 1870s that we even had any women members. Um, this is the way the world was, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think that people were focused on the diversity and the need of it, in, in the, certainly not in the 19th century, and only lately in the 20th century. Um, what I am proud of was that for 48 or 50 years, the Academy was involved in the school system in New York, which of course is one of the most diverse cultures that there is on the planet. And so we used to have a science fair that had a thousand kids for a weekend every year. And if you went there, you would see the most diverse group of kids imaginable. And But the problem with that and what we've changed is that that was a wonderful, made you feel good, a feel good event. But when you looked into it, you'd find out that, well, it sounded great to have 55 schools represented and all these diverse kids from every background. You'd find out there were 200 schools that were never there. The kids were in neighborhoods that had no science teaching, that the kids were endangered after school and so on. And here we were doing something for one weekend a year for just the elite kids in the end, even though they looked diverse. So that's where we changed, and that's why uh, we're proud to work with you. And it was Emphasis that was the very first founding supporter of this, because what they said was, and it was Chris Kopalakrishnan. He's a part he, of your international board the, of uh, one of your you know founders, and yep. he said, he said, Alice, nobody knows better than Indians that you could have a, a kid in the most remote village with nothing, and if somebody gave him a hand, he could become the CEO of a company. And if you're going to do stuff for underserved kids in New York, we're with you. So we're very proud of the fact that we actually um, use our thousands of PhD student and postdoc members here in New York. We train them to be mentors. They go into the worst schools, the worst neighborhoods, and they actually provide role models and hands-on science for kids. And that was the beginning of what's now the global STEM alliance, which we could talk about if you like. Sure, absolutely. Ellis, you know, just touching upon it, um, um, diversity in, in STEM education is still an issue. Um, extended reach to underserved parts of the societies is still an issue. Uh, and in fact, I still believe there is a bridge needed between STEM education and employment, um, which I believe uh, either firms like yours or firms like ours are, are in partnership. We have to build that bridge so that uh, you land these people in jobs related to STEM, which is still underrepresented in my view. So what do you think we need to do to fix this? Uh, the percentage of women in, in STEM-related jobs is still uh, a minority. Um, and the reach of computer science and uh, to, to uh, parts of the society is still, still an issue. In fact, the Infosys Foundation works on K-12 schools and education, computer science education there. What do you think those one or two things um, organizations need to do to bridge this gap or the divide, if I may? So I would uh, point to uh, the following couple of things. Role modeling, mm -hmm. uh, hands-on experiences, and social networking, since we can now work uh, really without having to go through the headaches of trying to transform schools. So as you know, uh, Ravi, uh, because emphasis was a, a very pioneering in creating its own, what I think of as a skilling yep. campus in Mysore. Yep. Um, what we're trying to do is take that idea of being able to skill people, but outside of the brick and mortar, a high expense side, 
and actually what I call go direct to consumer skilling with kids. And what we're doing in effect with our Global STEM Alliance, which is this program that we've created after we started working with the kids here in New York, is that we put these kids, we give them a chance to do uh, what we think of as sustainable development goals. Yep. This is my, my little pin that shows yep. all the colors of the goals. Challenges that companies like yourselves put up there. How to make uh, safer homes for old people. How to improve water quality. How to make uh, more efficient planes and so on. And is Kids, that what this Global STEM Alliance That's what the Global STEM Alliance is all about. Tell us a little bit more about sure. that. Sure. So here, imagine that you can have thousands of kids which are applying, tens of thousands of kids applying, to get into a junior academy, which means that if they're between 13 and 19, mm -hmm. they apply. If they are accepted, they can actually uh, f create their own profiles in a social network begin to meet each other all across the world. And they get mentors from online, the US, right? And they get mentors after they, they propose a solution. This is what's wonderful. Companies put up a challenge, like mm -hmm. the ones I mentioned. And you curate and they, all these challenges kids, together. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then the kids put up a, a solution. Mm -hmm. Then other kids say, I want to join you. Mm -hmm. So you have a kid from Tanzania, China. And these are virtual groups China, joining. And they're all virtual. Amazing. 100% online. They can do this in and the evening. And it's across countries. Exactly, and engineers, professional engineers and scientists from academia and industry are their mentors. And where do you source these mentors from? Do you, do you from, have a network? Yes, we have this huge and this network is a voluntary industry, network, all volunteers, mm -hmm. they love it. I mean, my favorite story right over to your right is Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs decided to honor its most high-performing women by letting them be mentors to our girls. They wanted wow. Goldman Sachs. Now, by the way, speaking of diversity, and your issue about women, 60% of the kids getting into the junior academy, the best in the world, are girls, which is quite interesting. And it gives you hope that basically we'll transform that situation. So Ravi, this is why we really believe in your actual principle of skilling, but we want to take the skilling direct to the consumer yep. because I think it's cheaper and it is an opportunity using, for example, artificial intelligence to analyze whether the skilling is being well done enough and then you can actually uh, certify with certificates and so on Absolutely. new jobs, right? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, uh, I have to say this, that <laughs> the first time I met you uh, was when I started thinking about changing our approach at the foundation from going to where the teachers are to bringing them to a digital platform. Uh, and I know you are a big evangelist of digital platforms to get extended reach. Um, so this is fascinating. What's the size of the network for the Global STEM Alliance now? So right now, it's uh, we've reached about 10,000 kids, and we're doing about 1,000 a year. And how many countries are they represented? 100. 100 countries, were, wow. It's all over the world, 100 countries. And do they come and meet at some point? So the winners of the challenges get to come. We, I wish we had money to bring all the thousands of kids, but we bring about 150, 200 that win the challenges. They come to our wonderful space and here in New York. Them. Yeah, uh, and the companies that support them and so on. So we raise money, we sponsor them. Mm -hmm. And they come and they get to meet each other. It's one of the most moving. I get uh, chills when I see the young ones meeting each other because they've only met each other online. Right. And then, of course, they also get to mingle with Nobel Prize winners here in New York or Terrific. go visiting companies and, and stuff. So it's a fabulous experience for them. And we have now certain countries beginning to join us, like Sweden, as a, as a kind of a country has joined us with uh, Volvo, AstraZeneca, Klaus Wilson, Chalmers University, mm -hmm. and the big philanthropic Wallenberg family. 
I'd love to be able to mimic that model in many countries, in, in Mexico, in India, in China, and so on. But we have many Indian kids, by the way. That's mm -hmm. the after the U.S., that's the second most successful wow. cadre of kids coming in. And Alice, you know, um, you spoke about the United Nations sustainability goals, sustainability mm. development goals, and you're a big uh, evangelist for that. Tell us a little bit about what the uh, New York Academy of Sciences is doing in this. So there is another outgrowth, and you can almost imagine the steps of how this has happened, mm. of uh, where we take the Junior Academy concept to the next level. So uh, imagine that you are, let's say, the Secretary General, or Deputy Secretary General of the UN, and you're worrying about how are we going to accomplish goals four, which is education for all, mm -hmm. <clears throat> goal five, which is gender equity. And, you, and, and what, what would be a mechanism by 2030 to bring uh, education to everybody? So if you look at his agencies, uh, Guterres's agencies, the Secretary General, you know, those agencies initially were thinking, okay, we'll produce 50, new teacher, 50 million new teachers mm -hmm. because we have to reach 750 million kids that are not in good schools or no school at all. In fact, I read a, I read a UNICEF report recently which said 250 million students don't have access to education, not even good schools. Precisely. School. Yeah. So, in fact, you bring up a good point. There's 250 million don't have access, 500 million that have access but they're terrible teachers in terrible schools. And then they don't even talk about the 750, I'm, maybe it's 500, it's 800 million young people who are in good schools and not getting the skills of the future yep. that the companies like Infosys, IBM, J&J, &J and so on need. So how are we going to do this? Are we really going to produce 50 million new teachers? And if we did, by 2030, would they be better at skilling than the ones we have now? So thinking about this puzzle, we were approached by the Sec Deputy Secretary General, a wonderful woman named Amina Mohammed, and she said, you know, your idea of a social network with direct-to-consumer approaches to mentor these kids in order to uh, empower them to do more exciting things, why couldn't that be taken to scale? Couldn't we get a big, gigantic public-private partnership and a collective action initiative that would take it mm -hmm. to scale because it would be cheaper, it would be more efficient, and if you used artificial intelligence, very smart about this, she said you could analyze in real time whether it was working or not. This is what we've ended up doing. We made an alliance we're very proud of with UNICEF and the head of UNICEF, Henrietta Four, also with the World Bank, and we're very excited about many companies that see this as an opportunity not only to do CSR, but maybe to actually make money in the long term, in, in, a, in a way of, in effect, doing what you're talking about, Ravi, which is skilling Just people and directly for the jobs that they need for the future, and when the jobs change, to reskill. Yeah. It's a constant cycle of lifelong learning, as I call it. Precisely. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I was at Wharton uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about how education is going to move from just in case to just in time. Uh, just in case is the kind of education I did, which is you study everything just in case something is required in life, you're going to get to this point where um, you will be imparted just in time learning. You should be able to absorb it and um, apply it to your job, and you should do that continuously on an ongoing basis. So if you have this digital platform which uh, creates that mechanism to reskill thousands of thousands and thousands of uh, uh, employees direct, whether it's, it's going to be a game changer. So, <clears throat> so what's the end goal for that? Is there a is there a goal you you can? Yes. Yeah, so on this? what our hope is to go in the following direction. We have 
we're trying to create about five proof-of-concept projects in different kinds of venues and countries. So we're planning to start something in South Africa, Rwanda, Uganda, Nigeria, India, and the U.S. Uh, in particular in 2020. What we want to do is we want to create many public-private partnerships in each case to prove the, ca the case of how it would be done. And we have many, many companies wanting to do in-kind work there. Our hope then is to learn in the first year how to improve it and scale it. Once it begins to be shown whether it's working in some countries, it can be taken on in others. And our real hope is that by 23, uh, maybe four years, by 2024, 25, that, that industry itself, different parts of industry, will discover that there's a role that they can play and make money on it. And it won't anymore be an NGO type of UN concept. It will just explode on its own. It'll be a new way of people being educated for the jobs of the future. And as you know, uh, most industry people say 70% of the jobs of the future we're not skilling people for, and the teachers Absolutely. don't know. Absolutely. By the way, that skilling uh, pro pl uh, platform that we're imagining building, that's a, a growth of the junior academy one, that could be also done for the teachers themselves. So that, in effect, teachers would learn how to be able to do better skilling directly on a platform. And teachers would be the fastest way to get to the students. It, precisely. That's yeah. another way you scale. Yeah. So the, the whole idea of this is how to scale at, a, at an unprecedented level. And thanks to IT, uh, Internet of Things, smartphones, a lot of our kids are working on smartphones without even computers when they're working on yeah. these challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Alice, I had one last question for you. Sure. Um, in this 17 years of transformational journey at New York Academy of Sciences, what's that one proud moment you, you always cherish? Well, I'm going to say that it's the, it was the realization that the, our academy could be a young academy. Because within the first year, we had 1,000 graduate student postdoc members, and then we kept growing in this, in this way. And we're very proud of the fact that I haven't mentioned for you, Ravi, but you're aware of it that uh, we have a wonderful philanthropist, uh, Len Blavatnik, who's funded what's in effect the Nobel Prize for young scientists and engineers, 42 or under. These are the future change makers. And in the US, UK, and, and uh, Israel right now, we're identifying the most uh, change uh, agent uh, uh, scientists and engineers you could imagine. And we want to take that globally, too. So if I was proud of one thing, it's the idea that our academy uniquely can be a platform for the uh, future leaders to come together, to collaborate, to learn how to change the world. Uh, and, and to me, this is uh, only possible with uh, partnerships that are with companies like yours. We are so excited about uh, the, the possibilities of the partnership which we are exploring with you and the number of open initiatives we have started to think about. Uh, very excited about uh, our own partnership with you. Great. Thank you again for your time today and wonderful talking to you. What a noble cause of uh, the New York Academy of Sciences. I, I, you know, I'm so excited about what, what impact it can make. Thank you again for talking to me. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you.